0: Uh, This morning, we are near at the arc of the whole summer series. It's coming to an end as we come to the end of the summer. And um, we've been talking about Simply Christian. What does it mean to follow Jesus according to the story of Scripture that culminates in Jesus Himself and the new creation? So we've been through these things that are pointers, echoes of a voice. We've been through the story of the Old Testament. We've talked about Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit. And today, You might phrase it this way, and you might be familiar with this this way of phrasing, if all of this is true, how then should we live? How then should we live? What does it look like? So today, Kester is going to take us into that topic, and I'm here to introduce Kester somewhat, I say introduced, because he's been here now for close to a year, but this is his first time uh, in, in the pulpit, if you could call this a pulpit. And um, he's going to be speaking to us from, from the word today, and I just wanted to say a little bit about him. Um, Kester serves as our small group pastor, and many of you already have been pastored by, pastor, by Kester, and you may be a small group leader, and if you are, you guys, small group leaders, Kester have been working to get ready for our fall kickoff. Now, for everybody here, in two weeks, we are going to kick small groups off again. We take a break from, from them over the summer But we're going to have our fall kickoff in two weeks. All the small group leaders will be out and around for you to go and explore different small groups and where they meet and hear about the demographic and what their their study is and that kind of stuff. Meet them personally. So mark your calendar for a couple weeks from now as Kester and, uh, and the leaders get ready to kick off the small groups. Let me pray for you, Kester. Father, thank you for Kester and your call upon his life. Thank you for his love for you, for your church, for your word. We ask now, Lord, that you would reveal to us something perhaps that might be something we've never seen before about who you are and who we are and what this life in you looks like, or Lord, that you would remind us of something we have known before but need to hear again and be called back to. Open up those places in our hearts to receive your word to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Morning, Christ Church. Good morning. Good morning. Since we are in this conversation this morning about living into the new creation, it makes sense that we would go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless. And empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God separated the light from the dark morning and evening, and he called it good. God separated the sky from the water, and he called it good separated the sea from the land, and he called it good. God caused the land to produce vegetation and created the sun, moon, and stars, created birds and fish and land mammals and livestock, each animal according to its kind, and everything he made he called good. Then God made a special creature, one made in his image, humankind, Man and woman. He called them to join him in this creative work, cultivating and caring for this world that he had made. And he looked over all of it and he called it very good. And it was very good. All was right with the world. And then we went and broke it broke relationship with our pride and fear, brought injustice with our anger and violence. We shattered what was beautiful, and we began to chase after the spirits of the age, spirits of lust and greed, of power and pride. Human beings brought sin and death into the world and passed them down generation to generation, an inheritance to our children and our children's children. This is the world we inherited, the world that we were born into. This is the world that exists before we can form thoughts or words or memories. My first memory is a broken one. It is a terrifying one. It's one that will wake me out of sleep in a cold sweat at the age of 47, I am trapped and alone in this tight, dark space. And it is hot. And I can barely breathe. And the heat rises, and the pain and the fear increase. And I am sure that this is never going to end. And then, after what feels like an eternity, a door opens and light comes in, and the heat begins to dissipate, and I can breathe again. When I was three years old, my older brother, who was then 12, put me into this large metal clothes dryer and closed it and turned it on. And from the age of three until the age of 15, my brother tortured and abused me. I grew up always unsure. Living in this loving family with loving parents, and yet this brother who was secretly terrorizing me. With parents who never knew because abusers know how to make you keep a secret. Never knew because I never told, never hinted at the horrors that were happening to me. And so when our family moved from the south side of Chicago to San Antonio when I was 16, and my brother, who was 25, stayed behind, I swore two things. That I would never speak to my brother again. And that if God was good, if there was any justice in the world my brother would someday know the pain and the fear of being trapped in a dark, hot place for eternity. Now, odds are that most of you have never wished that kind of pain on anyone. Even the people you like the least, you would spare that kind of misery. Even those who've mistreated you deserve something less than hell. And yet, because the world is a broken place, many people experience hell on earth every day. And while we wouldn't wish it on anyone, we contribute to it, directly or indirectly. Thomas a. Kempis once wrote, All men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make for peace. Or as Stanley Harawas says in his more ornery way, Of course you do not desire war, but what you desire makes war inevitable. As human beings, perhaps especially here in the West, we desire personal safety and security and happiness over everything else. We want control, we want comfort, we want ease. And because we want these things for ourselves, we often deny them to others. We want a kind of heaven for ourselves, even if it means a kind of hell for others. We long for the things that we talked about at the beginning of this study, relationship and justice and spirituality and beauty, until they cost us something. When these things come through suffering or hardship or sacrifice, we go looking another way, When the good comes by way of a cross, we go seeking another way to be. By my sophomore year of college, I hadn't spoken to my brother in five years. I was a Bible major in West Texas, planning for a career in ministry. I was a good student, and I was used to positive feedback from my professors. So I was a little surprised when one of my professors sent back a paper with only one comment, please come see me. And I went to go see him, and he shared a concern. He said, I read this paper and others that you've read, and I am concerned that you have more anger in you at the age of 20 than I have ever had in my life. And I worry what kind of a minister you will be. And so we began to talk, what turned into a series of long conversations. I would come by his office and talk for an hour, and he invited me to share my story. And as I shared my story, my brother entered into it, and suddenly we figured out where all the anger and resentment was, and saw the ways that it was spilling over. And I began to talk about just these bad people in the world that do these bad things, Not good people like me that never do those things. (laughs) And my professor listened patiently and quietly for hours of those conversations. But one day he said to me, you know how the scripture says you cannot love God and hate your brother? I don't think that's a rule so much as a reality. I don't think it can be done. And I think you're trying to do it. And he said to me, you're trying to reserve this section of your heart for hating your brother and the rest of it is going to be for loving God and everyone else. But the hate is spilling over. It's bleeding in. He said, you are going to have to go decide what you are more committed to. Loving God or hating your brother. And if you decide that it's hating your brother, you're going to have to get out of ministry, and you're going to have to stop calling yourself a Christian. And I walked out of that room angry. <laughs> and I wrestled for weeks with what I was more committed to. And it was close. Close. But I went back into his office weeks later and I said, I'm more committed to loving God. And he said, Good. And I said, But it doesn't matter because I still hate my brother. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can't decide not to hate him. Nothing has changed. And my professor challenged me to do one small thing every day pray for my brother. And I pushed back and said, it won't work. I won't mean it. And he laughed and said, don't mean it. Just do it. He said, tell God as you're doing it that you don't mean it. And then he said to me, God does the work when you pray. Not you. So I began to pray. Unbelieving but obeying every day. For years, Too often we think that if we're going to do good in the world, it's got to be all or nothing. Too often we think in terms of grand gestures and big events. But most of the time, God is calling us to little things. We think, I am going to end homelessness in Austin. Or I'm going to sit on the couch. Those are the two options. I am going to end slavery, or I'm going to stay in bed. I'm going to change everything and everybody, or I'm not going to do anything. And God is calling us to live this small, faithful life. To be faithful with the things that he has put in front of us. Calling us to do these slow and steady, unsexy things. These little acts of love. That God uses to work miracles. Mother Teresa is credited with saying, You can do no great things, only small things with great love. I used to hate that quote. Because <laughs> when I was 25, I wanted to do great things. But as I get older, I have learned to love that quote as I've seen its truth and its wisdom. That love looks like tending, like tending sheep, like tending a garden. Love is our ongoing act of care and cultivation, not our one big act of salvation. The one big act of salvation is already done, and you didn't do it. The world isn't yours to save, Jesus saves But in his saving act, he invites you into new creation. He invites us to cultivate and care like God did in the beginning. He invites us into a new beginning. Invites us into those small acts of great love. As the writer Anne Lamott writes, If I want peace on earth, I can start by forgiving my sister. Or in my case, my brother. Which, as I said, took years. It didn't happen all of a sudden. No grand gesture, no big event. But over time, I slowly became aware of the fact that God had worked a miracle in me. That I had come to love and forgive my brother. And I wanted him to know. I wanted to be reconciled to him. I wanted to see if things could be made right between us. And so, a little while after this epiphany, I went to see my brother for the first time in 10 years to sit down and find out if we might begin again. Now, I want to pause here and acknowledge that this is not always how the story goes. That there will always be those who refuse to reconcile even when we are willing to forgive. Those who would continue to abuse our bodies and abuse our trust. To oppress and mistreat us without remorse. Those whom we might forgive but cannot be reconciled to. Because the last thing that you need if you have suffered abuse is a preacher putting pressure on you and not on your abuser telling survivors to forgive and the rest of us to forget, while those who mistreat and oppress continue to go unchecked and unrepentant. Too many pastors preach forgiveness to victims of violence and fail to preach repentance to the perpetrators. And for reconciliation to happen, repentance is as necessary as forgiveness. To be the ministers of reconciliation that Paul has called us to be, we must minister to those who have been hurt and call out those who have hurt them. To be ministers of reconciliation, we must do more than cry, Peace, where there is no peace. We must cry out for justice for those who have been wronged and speak truth to those who have wronged them. This is why Christ begins his announcement of the kingdom with a call to repent. If we want the new creation, we've got to leave the old creature and the old ways behind. But the good news is that repentance leads us in a new direction. It literally turns us around, away from the way of anger and violence, of bitterness and fear, and into the way of love and forgiveness, the way of Jesus When Jesus reconciles us to God, he calls us into right relationship. And right relationship with God begins to put everything right. It leads to right relationship with neighbor and with nature. With the world all around us and the people right in front of us. Repentance is an essential piece of God's ministry of reconciliation. And so I thank God that my brother was ready to repent. I will admit that I showed up with a record of wrongs. But I didn't need them. Because my brother had been keeping a record too. And as we sat down together, he began to name specific ways, including taking a little boy. And putting him in a dryer. He began to confess these sins. And ask me to forgive him. Something I was more than happy to do. And the next day. My brother and I went to worship at the church where we'd grown up on the south side of Chicago. In the tradition I was raised in, the churches of Christ. We take communion every week just like in the Anglican tradition. But that tradition is a little different in that we pass the plate down the aisle. And so each of us offers the bread and the wine, or in Churches of Christ, the grape juice, to one another. And so that morning I passed the plate to my brother. And I passed the cup. The body of Christ broken for you the blood of Christ that sets us free. And it was like a door had been blown open and light spilled in and the heat began to dissipate and I could breathe. This is the story of what is possible. When we choose to walk in the way of Jesus. When you are ready to live as citizens of Christ's coming kingdom. When we are ready to turn from the old way and walk in a new direction. We need a new beginning. And in Christ, we have one. We need new creation. And in Christ, we are one. The same spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis also hovered over the water of Mary's womb, and so a new Adam was conceived. One who is both God and human, born of the Spirit, pursuing justice, righting relationship, restoring beauty. The only one, the only one, who can put the world back together again. And we get to join him we get to join in the work of new creation. It is not us who will put the world right. We can't, and when we try, we get it wrong. But Christ is making the world right. The God who reconciled us to himself in Christ is also reconciling us to one another and to all creation. And if God can put me and my brother back together, something I believed impossible And was not always sure I wanted. God can put it all back together. And he invites us to join in. To participate. I could never have healed the relationship between me and my brother. But I got to join in with my little mustard seed prayers. I got to decide if I wanted to live in a world where we... We're reconciled, and God made that world a reality. In the same way, we get to choose to live into Christ's kingdom, into the new creation. We get to choose to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We get to choose to love our brothers and sisters, maybe by forgiving them for what they have done to us, maybe by putting right what we have done to someone else. As we return to the Common Cup this morning, this powerful reminder that we are one in Christ, ask yourself the question, is there someone I need to forgive? Is there something I need to put right? As we prepare to speak the word peace to one another, Ask yourself, is there someone I need to make peace with? Are they in this room? Ask God to show you the small acts of great love, lived out in little ways every day that he may be calling you to. Befriending and advocating for our neighbors, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the outsider, Making someone a meal, loaning someone your car, helping someone with rent or groceries, writing a song, writing a check, just checking in. And let's commit ourselves to making Christ central to all we do and all we are. Opening our hearts to the light and love of Jesus so that it might fill our hearts and spill out into our lives. We cannot share in the new creation apart from Christ, the one through whom all things in heaven and on earth were created. In his chapter on new creation in Simply Christian, N.T. Wright says this, Jesus is at the moment present with us, but hidden behind that invisible veil which keeps heaven and earth apart, And which we pierce in those moments such as prayer, the sacraments, the reading of scripture, and our work with the poor. When the veil seems particularly thin. That is why we do this life together. Gather in those thin spaces together. It's why we gather together in small groups to pray together and learn together and serve together and be together. It's why we gather here each week to read scripture and recite the creed and receive communion. This is how we choose Christ and the new creation every day, every week. Choose a world where wrongs are righted, sins forgiven, and enemies reconciled where the hungry are fed and the poor are cared for and the lonely are no longer alone, where we sacrifice for one another just as Christ sacrificed himself for us, where we take on the yoke of Jesus and find it grows easier the longer we bear it, where we take on the burden of love and find it grows lighter the longer we live it, and that we grow more and more into the people we were created to be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.